Welcome back to the Savage Land. It is a another special, 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 special here today. Uh, who we got in the Savage Land? Uh, we got Matt over here. And Rachel. And I'm Jason, as each and every week. And uh, today we are joined by another guest. Uh, this man is somebody who you'll probably recognize the name if you've been following uh, the comics community online for any number of years. Uh, he has a new comic that is out, which uh, takes the ideas of Calvin and Hobbes and Sin City and blends them into a one one smorgasbord. Uh, he's also a former writer for Newsarama and I think some other websites. But I'll let him uh, I'll let him speak to that himself. Please welcome Mr. David Peppos. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. And are you so? Is it uh, former writer for Newsarama, or are you still writing for Newsarama? Yeah, I'm still. I'm still. I'm still still around on the internet oh there you go um and uh yeah you know it's it's been great um you know sort of having ha- having having a home base and uh you know I, I can i can talk to this uh further later on in the interview but you know uh, newsarama it's always been kind of home for me and it, it really uh without the experiences that I, I picked up there uh i can tell you spencer and Locke certainly wouldn't exist now, tell us about Spencer and Locke. So, so for you know listeners who haven't heard of it before, and obviously the the first issue just came out uh, two weeks ago, last week, something like that. Yeah, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, our book. Well, uh, you know, you described it very well earlier. Uh, you know, our easy elevator pitch is: What if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? So, Spencer and Locke. It's about a hard boiled cop whose partner happens to be his childhood imaginary friend. So it's a little bit of True Detective, a little bit of Fight Club. Uh, but ultimately, our story—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's a little bit of a black comedy parody, but also a love letter to Bill Watterson and Frank Miller, two of the greatest uh, uh, cartoonists of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, our story—it's very much about uh, you know a kid um, who grew up in some very trying, uh, difficult circumstances, and sort of the 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 unique coping methods he's built up over the years. Uh, to really protect himself from further harm. Hmm. Awesome, and uh, and we definitely will want to will want to get back to Spencer and Locke and talk about uh, a lot of stuff and sort of developing it. But I think first, uh, what we'd like to do is kind of build build the foundation and the journey of getting there. Uh, and, sure, you know, give people the full picture of David Pepo's. Uh, so what? Wh- I mean, first, I mean, where did where did you grow up? To to kind of sure. Uh, well. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a Midwest native. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, once I went off for college, I spent about 10 years on the East Coast. Uh, I spent a little bit of time in New England and then wound up spending about five years in New York. And uh, it's it's funny because uh, I feel like my, my career trajectory, it's not a straight line by any means. It's very <laughs> much a zigzag. And, uh, you know, so I, I got my start actually uh, as a newspaper reporter. Uh, I covered uh, state politics and breaking news and, and cops and crime. And uh, after a few years of that, I I, uh, I really wanted to get back to, to creative things. I In college, I interned actually with the editorial department at DC Comics. And it really kind of blew my mind um, sort of the seeing behind the scenes of how uh, a lot of people's favorite comics get made. Yeah, and I I wound up going to Columbia University in New York uh, studying publishing, and uh, because that's the way my life goes, I wound up getting a job in television out of it. Uh, I I worked over at CBS for about five years in New York, and uh, about a year ago I uh, decided to you know I, I I liked working in TV and film so much 
I decided to move out west to Los Angeles uh, to pursue that further. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's a it's a, a tour around the country uh, for your life for sure. Yes, very much so. So when very much so, but you know, I think go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was I was just gonna ask when you got into comics, but you can go ahead and finish with like. Oh yeah, well you know I've been into comics. I, I mean, as long as I can remember, I, I remember my mother giving me four uh, Marvel books uh, when I was probably four or five years old. She gave me an issue of Amazing Spider-Man uh, uh, drawn by Eric Larson, which just Ooh. blew my mind. Um, <laughs> it was it was it was the uh, issue before Spider-Man and Venom wind up on the on the island. Okay. And as far as the first comic goes, that that really kind of blew my mind. And then I, I had an issue of Captain America where he and Jack Frost team up against an ice serpent. And uh, I love that. That was amazing. Yeah. Uh, an issue of the Silver Surfer uh, where it was Adam Warlock versus Drax the Destroyer in the Soul Gem. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't understand any of it, but it looked <laughs> awesome. And uh, an issue of the Incredible Hulk where uh, the Hulk winds up pouring radioactive waste all over the Abomination's face. Which is uh, wow. a five-year-old that was quite intense, but kind of like super metal, even though I didn't know what that <laughs> word meant at the time. Yeah, and uh, you know, I carried those books around with me everywhere. I, I probably, I mean, I, I would read them constantly. And then one day, uh, my my mother bought me a copy of Infinity War number two. And if you guys have ever seen the cover of that book, it's literally every single Marvel character that you could possibly think of on that cover. Oh, wow. And that's when I realized, oh, like these characters, they all interact. Uh, I could see Spider-Man and Captain America and Wolverine, who I thought was just the coolest. uh, (laughs) And that just kind of that just blew my mind. And I realized that there was this this wider universe to explore. And pretty much from then on in, I, I was totally hooked. Um, I've, I've certainly had certain different stages of my comics reading, uh-huh. like I'm sure plenty of other longtime readers have. Uh, yeah. I remember you know, as a teenager reading Spawn or reading Crimson, uh, you know, or getting really back into the swing of things with Civil War and 52. Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like I've always, comics have always played a really big part of my life. And uh, as soon as, especially once I... I, uh, I graduated high school and went to college. I, I, I was a, I became a voracious comics reader and, uh, haven't looked back since. <laughs> there you go. That's, it's funny that you mentioned, uh, that cover on infinity gauntlet. Cause I think, I think George Perez must just really, really enjoy drawing tons and tons of characters on covers with each other. Cause, uh, one of my first comics was the JLA Avengers crossover that he illustrated. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I do. I do. That's a that's a that's a great uh, first issue for you. Absolutely. It like and it kind of spoiled me because then like from then on you kind of expect like oh yeah every once in a while you know Iron Man and Batman talk and Superman carries Thor's hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to learn the hard oh, way that uh, that does not happen very much. <laughs> no, sadly not. Sadly not. I mean, you probably missed out then on on, on the uh, Age of Amalgam comics, which I remember. Uh, I remember reading those in my local supermarket in St. Louis and. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I was I was I was over the moon. Spider Boy, b- drawn by uh, Mike Waringo. I, I uh, me and one of my, my my oldest friends, we would like we would we would each buy separate issues and then we'd trade them back and forth amongst each other. <laughs> and it was just, uh, yeah. No, you're bringing me back. You're bringing me back. Those those amalgam comics. That's actually been uh, a thing that I've been talking about with a friend of mine is to do like a mini run podcast that goes back through amalgam comics because he loved them growing up and I didn't see them until like later in life. Uh, just yeah, you know, all those weird concepts. 
I, in fact, I, I will actually I'll tell a, a slightly embarrassing story, which is um, that that friend of mine who I was telling you about, uh-huh. uh, he he now lives out in um, in North Carolina, and I went out for a weekend um, to celebrate uh, his his bachelor weekend. I, uh, I I was hospitalized with a kidney stone and couldn't make his actual bachelor weekend, Oof. and I we went to uh, we went to Heroes. Uh, our heroes aren't hard to find, <laughs> and I don't know what came over me. But I wound up walking out with like $120 worth of like amalgam comics. Oh, wow. Um, I, 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 I think I cleared out most of their stock. I was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm feeling nostalgic. Like, let's do this. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I mean, you, you probably have to dig in pretty deep in my Twitter feed. But I because I, I think that was back in like October. But mm. I have this like whole stack of, of like amalgam comics and marvel and dc crossovers i was like i regret nothing and you know what i still regret nothing it's amazing i still have this stack sitting here in my room that i'm still like burning through when i get the chance that's amazing i love it so when so it sounds like you you grew up uh you know kind of a, a marvel kid then it's it's funny that you would end up interning for dc later i mean is that accurate or did you kind of have a dc phase too yeah yeah, well, you know, I, I certainly there were some DC bits that I really enjoyed. Um, my very first trades were uh, the Death of Superman and uh, Nightfall, which okay. uh, I, I I I love Nightfall. I, I, I anytime I feel particularly burned out, I think about Nightfall all the time. Really? Um, and actually, uh, Devin Grayson and Roger Robinson's Batman Gotham Knights, uh, I picked those up in my supermarket as well, and that I. I'd still say that's my favorite Batman run of all time. I, I have it on Comixology on my phone. Uh, I never like. I want to make sure I'm never left without it. I uh, just flew from C2E2. I had no books on me. I read through it again. Wow. Uh, that I think is. I think that's like that might be like one of my favorite runs of all time. It like maybe alongside Grant Morrison's JLA. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and Grant Morrison's JLA, which I, I should say. I mean, that's like my all-time favorite like super team book. Yeah. And. Jeff Johns's uh, run on Teen Titans. Yes. Uh, that oh was, my goodness. Uh, in fact, it was that run on Teen Titans that wound up getting me uh, my internship at DC. Please explain. Because what happened? So what happened was, and I, I never do this. Uh, it's very rare for me to do this. I uh, I had read the one year later arc of yeah. Teen Titans, and I loved it. It just you know it reminded me so much of like old school Chris Claremont X Men, uh-huh. uh, just in terms of like the, the the soap opera and the team dynamics and, and you know. And I remember I wrote a letter into DC, mm-hmm. and I said, "Oh, I love this run on Teen Titans. It's 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 amazing." And I remember asking, "Hey, um, how does one? Do you guys do internships? How does one do this?" I think I was a a, a sophomore in college at the time. Okay, and. I got a, a nice form letter back saying, oh, you know, check the Warner Brothers job site. But what happened was um, the, the, the very nice man who emailed me forgot to take his signature off the email. <laughs> and so I spent the next uh, six months corresponding with him. Uh, his name's Ivan Cohen. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, Ivan and I would go, you know, I'd, I'd email him and say, hey, you know, is there any way you could send me some comic book scripts, for example? Okay. Um, because my, 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 my screenwriting teachers back then said, oh, you know, the best way to learn how to write scripts is to read scripts. Yeah. And Ivan was, was, uh, a mensch and he, he humored me and he sent me some, uh, I know he sent me an issue of all-star Superman, uh, to read, which is fantastic. And we, we went back and forth and I wound up interviewing with him for an internship oh, wow. and it went great. I thought, you know, this is it. 
and he goes, you're too young. Uh, and uh, he, he goes, it's, it, it's the only thing holding you back is, uh, I know you can apply again next year. And we have candidates who can't. So the next year, I emailed Jan Jones, who was in charge, of, who became in charge of the uh, the program, and we went back and forth. And I, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I think like something about the paperwork kind of like fell through at the last second. So I uh, I wound up taking some internships out here in LA actually. Mm. And so the the so the my senior year rolls around, and I said I have to do this. Like I have to I have to have to have to get an internship at 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 a comics company or I'm going to lose my mind. So, uh, poor DC had to hear me call them. I I think I called them once a month. And then I wound up by the time as, as it got closer to my graduation, I think I called them every other week. And finally, uh, they relented, (laughs) um, and, and said, you know what, you've been calling us for three years. I guess, I guess you want this. And, uh, so yeah, I, I finished, I finished, uh, college, and then immediately took a bus to New York, um, and I, I I wound up working. I worked mornings at DC every day, and then I would work nights at uh, a newspaper, which is since uh, shuttered out there in oh. New York. And, and uh, I can tell you that uh, I love my day job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I uh, working at DC was. Uh, it, I, I'd still say it was probably um, it was probably the best job I've ever had. You know, uh, it was so amazing getting to work with the editorial team over there mm-hmm. and getting to see uh, sort of what goes on behind the scenes of some of your favorite books. Yeah. Uh, to give you sort of a, a frame of reference when I was there, that was during uh, Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis. Oh, wow. Um, so it was I mean, it was amazing uh, seeing these books come together and being able to find uh, reference art, which was a big part of uh, the editorial internships uh, mm-hmm. job. Uh, you know, just finding, you know, what does this costume look like or what is this uh, what is this scene in this particular issue that they're referencing look like? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's amazing uh, how many writers they have this like encyclopedic knowledge of the DC universe. And that means you got to find that 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 image from the 80s or the 60s or whatever <laughs> time and find it for this 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 poor artist who's probably racing the clock yeah um just to make sure that they get this particular scene right that's funny i never i never thought about like all the all the behind the scenes on some of that stuff cuz yeah i mean you'll read all the time in comics where it's like they'll yeah recreate like some scene from way back in the day to sort of like pull the reference yep. back and grant morrison is huge yep. on that i'm sure and they had i i remember they had this big uh library filled with they they had bound the books mm-hmm. um so uh, you know, once you once you hit, I, I feel like if it was like particularly recent, like within the last like five years or so, yeah. you you would find the single issues. But they had just this entire library filled with like just bound collections of all their old books, and uh, yeah, you had to go through like a whole process of checking them out. They had a librarian. Uh, you know, if you didn't turn your books back in, uh, you know, that day the librarian would come after you. Uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, it was. It was amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember, you know, I, I was very close with like the lettering and production team um, mm-hmm. because I would sort of be the really the gopher. I would sort of take pages and run back and forth. And sometimes I would I would copy edit them or I'd put down balloon placements for them. Yeah. And I remember I, I had to wear a, a, a shirt and tie for my newspaper job. 
Mm-hmm. So every day I'm going to DC Comics with a shirt and tie, <laughs> and they used to they used to they used to make fun of me relentlessly about it. I know. Um, I, I one of the letters he's he's still on my birthday on on Facebook. He's like, oh, make sure you wear a nice shirt and tie for me. <laughs> um, it was, but I mean, it was it was such a a wonderful experience, and I think for me it really it kind of gave me the the confidence to say, okay, like there are careers in this industry and maybe maybe i'm cut out for it yeah um and that kind of really that that propelled me uh to working at newsarama and then uh eventually writing spencer and Locke. that's amazing so how long were you how long were you at dc in that internship i was there um let's see i last i was there eight months maybe eight or nine months i uh they, they 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 brought me on as an intern and actually, once I ran out of college credit, uh, they were nice enough to keep me on as a temp uh, for a while. And keep in mind, this was in the this was in the height of the recession. I, I graduated into the worst recession of our lifetime. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I remember when I was at when I, I remember when I moved to New York and I said, "I've got two internships. I got this long lock." Uh-huh. And uh, you know, it it it. it I, I can see like the it's always sunny credit saying David does not have it on lock. Um, <laughs> where, um, so I I I I, I was at DC um, and they they kept me on and they shielded me from the worst of it for a while, which is very nice of them. Yeah. And uh, at that time, I said, well, you know, there's no jobs, and uh, maybe uh, I'll I'll wind up going back to journalism, which I I, I had done. Uh, I, I had interned at a lot of newsrooms around the country, um, sort of trying to fit in creative stuff on the side. And so I, I went, I wound up living in Western Massachusetts for a couple of years, uh, working as a newspaper reporter and editor. And, uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, I, I got to do that and I worked at Newsarama in my off hours and, um, it was, it was sort of after a couple of years of it, I said, you know, I really miss, I miss comics. Yeah. Um, and uh, that sort of wound up me moving to New York. Uh, and I think within six months of me moving to New York, DC said, we're moving to Burbank. <laughs> and, um, but it was, it was great because I, you know, I sort of, I took that time to keep learning more about the business of comics and the craft of comics. Yeah. And I, I hit, I think I kind of hit a wall at some point where I, a lot of books weren't resonating with me the way that I, I, I wanted them to. Yeah. And sort of step by step, that dissatisfaction wound up turning into Spencer and Locke. Interesting, and that's and that is something. It's it's like a thing where we like keep you know teasing and going back to Spencer and Locke, and that's definitely going to be sort of the yeah. meat of this uh, of this interview because uh, there's oh, a lot that I want to talk about there. Um, but while while you're at Newsarama, because I think it's interesting going from, and it's something that surprisingly not a lot of people have done, uh, going from comics journalism into uh, creating comics. Um, and so I'm curious, like, to, what was the, the experience like for you, uh, writing for Newsarama? I mean, you know, uh, benefits and drawbacks, whatever. No, well, you know, and it's funny because it, it, it's actually, you know, the, the, the jump from comics journalism to comics creators, it actually goes back, uh, fairly far. Uh, Paul Levitt's got his start, uh, working on a fanzine and I believe oh, interesting. Jerry Conway might've done the same thing. And uh, there's a whole generation, actually, of wizard staffers who um, have wound up, you know, in, in the dissolution of that magazine, wound mm-hmm. up becoming uh, comics uh, comics creators or comics staffers in their own right. 
Yeah. Uh, I can think of people like uh, Mel Kylo over at Boom Studios or Brian Cunningham, one of the editors over at DC. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, a bunch of, of, of wizard expats have actually gone on to uh, probably work on a lot of your favorite books. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even and know uh, actually, well, and, and the, actually the reason why uh, how I got on to Newsarama was another alum. Uh, Janelle Aslin uh, was an alum of Best Shots over at Newsarama. Okay. And when I was interning there, she had been hired on the Batman art, uh, office as an assistant editor. Oh, cool. And uh, she was so nice to me while I was there, which is great because that really helped me with my burning jealousy of uh, her working in the Batman office. <laughs> and I, I remember asking her, um, you know, how did you get here? What, you know, what did you do to wind up working uh, at DC? And she said, oh, well, I, I worked at Newsarama and I I met a lot of people through that, and I met uh, Mike Martz through that, and uh, we kept in contact, and uh, uh, there was an opening, and they wound up hiring me. And uh, like I said before, I had graduated into the worst recession of my lifetime, <laughs> yeah. so there, I, I was I was desperate for for anything really to uh, to add to my resume, uh, just to you know that I, I didn't feel like a bump on a log. Yeah. And so Janelle introduced me to uh, her editor, Troy Brownfield, who, who really uh, has been one of the great mentors uh, in my career. And uh, he was in charge of Best Shots and uh, eventually blog at Newsarama. Okay. And uh, uh, I was hired and um, I wound up writing for both. And uh, when Troy wound up retiring, uh, uh, he, he wound up uh, ceding control of Best Shots to me. Awesome. And uh, it was, you know, it's an amazing experience. I feel like Newsarama was really, um, you know, DC was kind of like my comics uh, undergrad yeah. in, in a way. Uh, but I think Newsarama was like my grad school. Um, I feel like being able to sort of read and analyze and break down comics, I was doing it four days a week, sometimes five. Uh-huh. And uh by doing that, you, 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 you start to adopt your own process and you're able to better articulate what do you like about a particular comic? What don't you like? Is it something that's your own particular taste or is it based in some sort of uh, deeper narrative principles? Yeah. And that experience really kind of helped me hone, for, for lack of a better term, sort of my own uh, comic book politics yeah. uh, in terms of you know, for example, um, I, I think decompression, uh, when used correctly, can be a really powerful storytelling tool. But I think over the last, uh, you know, we'll say the last five years, I, I think it's been overused. Yes. Uh, and I think what winds up happening is it, it's sort of you, you wind up going for a very long story that doesn't really pay off or go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh it winds up sort of feeling like a month-to-month -month bait and switch, yeah. and you know, uh, you know, and so when we were writing this book, I, I made it a point where, you know, books like um, uh, Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher and Babs Tarr's Batgirl, I feel like is is the antidote. Yes. To uh, decompression. I totally. Where agree. each issue kind of it's like stands at its own two feet and it has its own unique hook for each chapter. They all feed to a, you know a, an overarching uh, story. But you can pick up a particular chapter of Batgirl, say the wedding issue, for mm -hmm. example, um, and you'll you'll know, oh, this is the story, or you know uh, where she's fighting Riot Black, for example. Yep. You'll know exactly which chapter I'm talking about. 
And uh, that was something like when we were spent, uh, structuring Spencer and Locke, I wanted to make sure that each issue, you know, you could say this is the car chase issue. Yeah. Um, uh, or, some, or something like that. Yeah, uh, it feels like an episode yeah. rather than a chapter. Yeah, and while they all sort of fit in, you know, this 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 larger storyline, mm-hmm. um, there's something unique to each issue, something that's different, and will sort of hook you in. Yeah. Um, but but you know, Newsarama it was just also it was such a fantastic place to learn, um, both in terms of of my colleagues there. Some of my, you know, I've met a lot of my best friends through that site. Uh, people like George Marston, for example. Mm. Um, I, you know, he's 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 one of my best friends. I mean, we we. We don't. We live on opposite coasts now, but every chance we get to to see each other. I mean, he was sitting there. He was sitting, you know, helping me out of my booth at C two E two. You know, I mean, it was, you know, or or Pierce Lydon. I mean, those are those are people who I've established, you know, uh, lifelong friendships with through the site. And, and I think a lot of that comes from the camaraderie of being in the trenches. It's it's very much like a journalism thing. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, I, I've I've been really fortunate to be able to meet with a lot of creators and and learn a lot from them. I, I had a column uh, before I moved to New York mm-hmm. that uh, it was called Writers Workshop and Artist Alley, and I was able to actually interview a lot of up and coming creators and ask them about their process. So I I got to talk with people like Greg Pak or wow. Nick Spencer. Or um, I don't know if the interview ever went up, but Scott Snyder wow. or Rick Remender. Uh, Rick was 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 tremendous, and sort of being able to learn things like characterization or theme or pacing yeah. uh, or t- narrative twists from them, mm-hmm. uh, that really kind of also added a lot of tools to my toolbox. Um, I'm a real I'm a real process junkie, and I feel like you know if there's any lesson that any listeners take from from this mm-hmm. is I don't believe that that writing is something you got it or you don't. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really believe uh, writing is not magic. It's a craft and anyone can pick up a craft, uh, you know, it's sort of like uh, building a chair. Yeah. For example, that's the metaphor I like to use. There are certain uh, qualities that make a chair a chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like having, you know, having any sort of legs or having a seat, but there's all, you know, I mean, there's all these different types of chairs out there and you can, you can put your own unique twists and spins on, on certain things while still maintaining that chairness of yeah. it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, chairness and, is a uh, new word. I think they'll be uh, adding to the dictionary next year. That's right. <laughs> I, and I feel like once you sort of demystify writing and you're able to break it down into its core components, it becomes uh, a much more manageable thing. Mm-hmm. And it's still, you know, it's still like r- running a marathon and, you know, you, you kind of, there are certain ways that you can build up your endurance to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, writing short stories, um, and, 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 and the like, but I feel like it's a process. If you want it, you can do it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think Newsarama really taught me that. That's cool. And it's, it's, it's funny, like hearing you talk about that. Cause that's kind of been the, the side benefit of doing these interviews on our podcast is for me, like I'm, you know, in the middle of, I just had like my first comic pitch a few weeks ago and, and I've got another one that I'm nice. developing with an artist right now. And so it's, it's kind of that same thing where, yeah, it's like anytime I'm interviewing somebody, any bit of process stuff that I can get, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to bank that away in my mind, you know, like just like yep. storing this information Absolutely. there. Um, yeah. and that's, that's really cool. So uh, tell me about now 
when did you first kind of uh, uh, start thinking about Spencer and Locke? When did this idea originate with you? So it's funny. I, I, I actually found it on my iPhone the other week. Um, I came up with the initial idea, I think it was September of 2014. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's been a long time coming. And I think part of that is because I had the idea before I had before I knew that I was going to write a comic, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I, I had been building up to the idea of writing, uh, because I, I, uh, I had really wanted to work in, in what they call, uh, current programming mm-hmm. over in, in, in television. Yeah. And what that is for, for readers who, who or for listeners who don't know, mm-hmm. there usually a lot of networks will have two different departments for their shows. Uh, it's, there's development, which is finding the hot new scripts and putting a cast together and, and uh, filming a pilot episode. And then after, you know, a couple of episodes, they pass it to what's called the current programming team. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who they they're they're the, the, the network advisors for a show throughout its whole natural life. Yeah. And when there are shows that I was working at CBS, when you have a show like NCIS or The Big Bang Theory that go on for 10 seasons, um, you know, there's there's a there's a continuity to it. Um, in, in certain ways, it feels like uh, being a comics editor for television. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I was really I, I, it was something I really wanted to do. And I wanted to sort of build up my narrative muscles. And I thought, what better way? to do that than, you know, to be able to break down a story than to build one of my own. And so I had done some short story writing and I had done, uh, I remember I spent a month writing uh, short comic scripts. Uh, I just, I think I did, it was six pages and I just said, every day I'm going to write one. I don't, I like, it needs to get done. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was great cause it sort of, it, it taught me not to be too precious about my ideas. Yeah. Um, honestly getting the work done is more important. Yeah. Just, sh- just and, getting them out no matter what it takes. Like not, not sitting there yeah. thinking, Oh no, people are like, people might think this is a dumb thing or like, how should I write this perfectly? No, uh, no, listen, nobody has to read it. You just have to write it. <laughs> and I, I, I did that and I wrote, um, a few, a few, uh, TV scripts and I actually wound up writing a full length screenplay. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, with all with with, with all that, I, I I said, you know, I I really like the uh, the structure of comics. I feel like the more rules you can put on me, mm-hmm. uh, the the better I write. Yeah. And comics are great because you have you know twenty pages, twenty two pages, and it's a matter of how much can you fit on those twenty two pages. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of you know playing with the rhythm and and pacing and tone of it all, and um, so I. It took a little bit, though, for me to say, "Oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a comic that is gonna be seen by readers." I, it was a dare, really. I, I think I had come up with this idea. I, I wanted. I, I was a big fan of uh, of mashup music at the time. Okay. Uh, things like "Call Me Maybe" meets um, meets Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> you know, just weird off the wall pairings that sounded surprisingly good together. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking, hey, could I do this for comics? Um, is there a combination that just sounds so, so like it's such a bonkers combination, but to actually make them work together, sort of a sort of the peanut butter and bacon of, of comics. <laughs> and I remember I remember putting a lot of, of combinations together. And a lot of them, though, the problem is they, they didn't really have the legs for it. They felt it was all based on shock value. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you could do 
post-apocalyptic Sesame Street or whatever. Yeah. Um, and like, that's an image, but like, is there a story behind it? Is, mm-hmm. Or is it just going to be like, oh no, like, you know, Big Bird fell on the fallout again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I, when I, I, I had this idea about Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. and I, I remembered reading a, a remixed uh, Calvin and Hobbes strip where they had put Calvin on Ritalin and suddenly he Hobbes is saying, Hey, don't you want to go outside? It's a beautiful day out. And Calvin's like, no, nah, I got I got homework. I gotta do this. And Hobbes goes, you know, you've been acting off lately. Is everything okay? And Calvin goes, well, actually mom um, put me on this new medication. She says it's really helping my focus. So I, I got to get back to my homework. Huh. And the, the, the strip ends with just Calvin doing his homework. And there's this lifeless doll sitting next to him. Yeah. I think I remember and, that. And it, it, you know, it's one of those things, like I kind of chuckled and then I realized like that really speaks to what I think is, is potentially this underlying bleakness to Calvin and Hobbes, because mm-hmm. what is this kid's home life like that he doesn't have any real friends that he has to, uh, create such, uh, such a vivid, uh, companion for himself day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I started thinking about that and then I had this, just this image flash in my head um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of classic Frank Miller. Um, his daredevil, the man without fear yeah. was actually a very formative read for me. And that was the thing that made me realize that, Oh, there are authors that make these books. It's not, they're not just like, you know, mass produced, you know, yeah. through a filter. Yeah. They don't, they don't and, come from like a, a, you know, a giant collective of people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that I, I had this image flash in my head of like the Sin City character, you know, all beat up and grinning maniacally in an alleyway, and he's holding a stuffed animal. Mm. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's 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 the peanut butter and bacon moment. Um, and I, I, I mean, it, it's one of those things. I, I feel like you know, you have a. St- I let me go back for a second. There you go. I feel like I had said earlier that writing is like a marathon. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really believe that. And I feel like it takes a long time. And so you want to make sure uh, that you're writing stuff that you're invested in. That you feel that, that you like, you want to make sure that you're writing characters that you don't mind taking the time to rewrite them because that is a long and tedious and kind of frustrating process. Um, and these characters, I mean, they, they, they felt pretty full formed even at the get go. Um, and it was just, it was such a joy to write them. And I think I wrote that first issue, might've been a week. Um, wow. And, and I had said to myself, it was just like, oh, like, that's cool. I wrote an issue of a comic, like that feels good. And then it, this like voice in the back of my head was, was like, well, what if, what if we did more than this? Like, uh, what if there was like, what if, what if you wrote a treatment? Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll write a treatment for like a whole arc, you know? And I remember, I remember uh, investigating. Uh, I, I, I remember I, I did some research on Boom Studios mm-hmm. because you know, and, and I said, how many how many issues do their series usually go on? Because I think a trap that a lot of uh, young aspiring creators fall into is they say, I've got this idea. It's going to be the next Why the Last Man. It's going to run sixty issues and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yep. And the thing is, is that. Brian K. Vaughn didn't start off with 60 issues. Um, it, it, it's, it's a trap. You know, comics, are their margins are, are thinner than ever before. Mm-hmm. Every book that they pick up from a new and untested creator is a risk. And so uh, 
I did some research and I looked at Boom Studios and they said, how many, you know, how many books, you know, how many issues do most of their series run for? And four was really kind of the magic number. And uh, so I said, okay, how am I going to break this down into four issues? So I wrote the treatment and I said, you know, I kind of like this. Like, I think this, this concept has some legs to it. And so I, I said to myself, well, what if I like, what if I found an artist, you know, just kind of see how that goes. And uh, I found Jorge Santiago Jr.'s portfolio online and was immediately like, yeah, I think this is the guy. I think this is the guy. And uh, he, he turned in his pages and I was like, yeah, these look really good. Um, and, but at the same time, I was like, okay, this looks fine. But, you know, like I still, the thing, it didn't really click for me until we found our colorist, mm. uh, Jason Smith. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, poor, poor Jason, he, he, um, Jason was not our, our first colorist on the book. Oh. Uh, he was not even our second, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I, I had found a colorist, um, who our first colorist, the, the style wasn't really a good fit for Jorge's, for Jorge's art. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we found a second colorist who I think, I think maybe he, he bit off more than he can chew in terms of his, of his commitments. Cause he took our money and just vanished. Yikes. Which was not fun. Yeah, um, and, uh, I was feeling, I was feeling fairly disheartened. And I think, I, I think I might've posted something on my Facebook wall saying, Hey guys, like, you know, any colorists and, uh, Taylor Esposito over at ghost cliff studios, oh, yeah. um, who, uh, you know, I, he, uh, he messaged me and he goes, you know, I, I know a guy, his name's Jason Smith, you know, give him, give him a try. Uh, and Jason, you know, is doing work over at Hi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I sent our pages to Jason and that's when, I think when Jason turned his, the pages back in, that's when I said, oh, this is a book. This yeah. is going to be a book. Um, this is going to be a book that if a publisher doesn't take us, I think we're going to have to print, like we're going to have to crowdsource it or something and just, just print it out of spite Yeah, because uh, the, the first six pages in our cover, which is the first six pages in the cover that are on the internet, by the way, that's, that's what's in everybody's hands. We didn't, we didn't change anything. Wow. Uh, like those pages really blew me away. And I said, Oh, I think we, we might have something on our hands here. And, uh, so I started chopping it around. Um, it took, it took us a long time to get to that, that pitch stage. I mean, it took us, I think the better part of nine months, to really kind of get our pages together and to get the right colorist and to get it, you know, lettered and ready for prime time. Wow. And I remember we, we shopped it around quite a bit and there were certainly a lot of doors kind of closed in our face about it. I, I know there was one publisher. Um, I, I take this as a compliment, but uh, he had <laughs> said, you know, it's the, it's the best pitch we'll never publish, Huh? which I, you know, I get it. You know, there's, there's certainly, there's, there's, there's always politics involved with whatever projects you pick up. Mm-hmm. And listen, when you have a project that's billing itself as what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City, uh, there are a lot of publishers who do not want to be dealing in sacred hamburger, you know? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and I get it. It makes perfect sense. Um, thankfully, uh, Action Lab uh, jumped on it. They, uh, I, remember I, I, I remember I was staying late at work one, one evening. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I sent I sent the the the, the pitch from there. Uh, I think my work my work computer had Adobe Acrobat, uh, and I didn't at home. And so I sent the pitch, and I was catching up with some paperwork. And it's you know six or seven o'clock at night. And about an hour after I sent in the pitch, I got an email from our creative director Dave Dwanch saying, "Hey, like how long do you think it would take you to finish this?" And that's when I was like, "Oh, this is real." Wow. 
this this is a thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, it's it's you know, for 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 a pair of first time creators, I mean, this is Jorge and I. It's, it's both of our first published works, and to have a publisher that was immediately invested in the property and uh, and wound up really trusting us to tell the story the way that we felt it necessary to. There was no. There's no editorial meddling going on, which, you know, I think is, is a rarity in this industry. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic. I mean, I mean, and that's sort of, you know, it's funny. I think, I think Jorge, uh, he's, he, for the, for the year plus really two years that we, we, we've spent working on it. Um, he's been, he's been so good at humoring me, uh, <laughs> even when he probably didn't know me from a hole in the wall, he probably, you know, I, I think, I think he expected this to take off even less than I did. Um, I, I think, I think he, he was like, yeah, well, it's nice to be asked and I'll put the pitch together and, you know, like, yeah, it probably won't turn into anything. Yeah. And I was like, no, man, believe, believe. <laughs> um, and, uh, I remember when we, when we got a publisher interested, he's like, I, I said, oh, you know, I think Action Lab might be interested in this. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. I hear this all the time. <laughs> and then I was like, no, man, we got contracts. And he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think even then, when we were putting the book together, I'm sure. I mean, listen, I'm I, I come from an editorial background, so I you know I see I, I, I try to see the big picture. I and I think um, our process of working with Action Lab, it's not like I I wrote our scripts and then just said peace out. Yeah. Um. I you know I was I was working with Jorge and Jason and Colin and and you know trying to get publicity off the ground and calling up comic shops. I mean, it was it was you know really the it was it was it was like the image starter pack in a lot of ways, and I think Jorge was so patient with me when I was like, "Well, like you know, what if we did the layouts like this, or you know, what if we uh, you know what if we paced out the sequence like this?" And we go back and forth pages and pages about like the best way to like knock out a sequence, and I think that's the reason why it looks as, as polished as it does is because we were able to bring like the best of both worlds to it. Yeah, and I think he you know and I think he was humoring me. I think he was like, oh, like, you know, whatever. Like, it's going to be like this little itty-bitty dinky indie book. Who cares? <laughs> and I was like, no, man, believe. Uh, and I think I think once he saw us get reviewed over at IGN, mm-hmm. I think that's when he was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> this guy, like, this guy I didn't know from a hole in the wall. Like, he, uh, he, 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 he hustled his promise for us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to be working with this team. I mean, like, I feel like, uh, I tell everybody who will listen, I say, learn Jorge Santiago Jr.'s name now. Yes. He's going to be huge. And so I am very much looking forward to uh, riding his coattails for as long as he'll allow it. <laughs> uh, I have a quick question. Uh, you mentioned this mashup formula. Is that something you plan to stick to? Or do you have, is this just a one shot and you have other projects that you want to work well, on? You know, I think, I think, Yes and no. I, I, and I know that's a, a frustrating answer. I think there's always an element of mashup uh, to any sort of like high concept you've got going on. So like um, you see it in TV, for all example. Time. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at like um, just, just something off the top of my head. Uh, the Fast and the Furious, you know, you say it's point break with cars. Um, you know, and while I don't think you necessarily need as, 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 as wild of a mashup um, as Calvin and Hobbes and Sin City. Uh, I feel like there's always like some element to it. Uh, it's this meets this. Um, it's a, it's, I think it's an easy way to break down a story in someone's head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I certainly for, uh, my next projects, I, um, 
like I have another pitch that I'm I'm developing at the moment, and I feel like if I don't have if it's if I can't be able to confidently say, well, it's this meets this, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I can't say just like as an example, you know, if it's you know, Nightcrawler meets Blade Runner, um, you know, I uh, I feel like at that point it's either not developed enough or it's overcomplicated. Yeah. Um, so I think I think as far as doing specific mashups like Spencer and Locke, uh, it's something I think it's something that's, that's I'd like to use judiciously. Um, I love the, the 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 mashup that we have with Spencer and Locke, but at the same time, you know, as, as a creator, you don't want to you don't want to pigeon yourself too much, mm-hmm. uh, pigeonhole yeah. yourself. And I think exactly. uh, comics are so are so great because um, I think out of any creative industry they're the ones that'll pigeonhole you the least yes um i think able to sort of they give you a little bit more freedom to try things like crime or sci-fi or horror or superhero and um you know for me i i uh, i tend to get a little restless if i'm not doing uh 10 things at once <laughs> and so uh that ability to kind of change genres i mean I love crime. I, I think I kind of gravitate towards it because of, you know, my, my love of old school Frank Miller, mm-hmm. but I've got, I've got like superhero pitches and, you know, uh, in, in the back pocket. I, I remember I wrote, um, a, a TV Bible for sort of an animated superhero show sort of in the, in the vein of Ben 10. Mm. Um, I think there's a, there's, there's a, there's a, a diversity of content that comics can afford. Um, there is, there is one more mashup pitch that I've got in the back of my, in the back of my head and I love it. To, I love it to death. It, it might be a while before I get to it. Cause I don't want to be just known as the guy that like, does that mash-ups. like, that does mashups that like, that like sullies your childhood memories. Um, but, uh, that's, that's it, why it, I was asking if that's just, <laughs> you know, your niche, like, what you were going for. Or yeah. If, you're, you're like, are there any more childhood properties I need to protect from you? <laughs> yeah. You're going to do the, the Berenstain Bears meets, uh, uh, I, I can't. Tarantino? Yeah, That's Quentin my next Tarantino. pitch. <laughs> That's funny. The, 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 as long the blood as stained bears. I get it. What was that? Oh, you can mash the wuzzles with something. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> they already are on my show. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. Uh, I love hey, it. So, so, you, so you mentioned Sacred Hamburger. What's been your What's been the response? I mean, I, 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 nothing in my nothing I can think of would give me more anxiety than 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 facing a crowd of angry people who, uh, you know, <laughs> that would feel like they've sullied your childhood. Well, you know, what's been great is I'd say the vast majority of people uh, have understood what we're doing and they're able, they're able to separate it uh, just because Spencer and Locke exist does not, uh, does not uh, change the fact that Calvin and Hobbes existed. It does not sully Calvin and Hobbes retroactively. I have not invented a time machine to ruin your childhood. I promise. (laughs) Um, If I had a time machine, I'd probably do something a little more lucrative than writing comics. But I, I think, I think uh, uh, it's been it's been great. I think most people have seen this for the love letter that it was intended to be. Um, there have been a few people who have have I'd say a very small minority who who have said, "Oh, you know, this is this is ruined. This 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 is a somebody the word ghastly I think was used at one point." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, listen, I. I Honestly, I, I've I've done the criticism thing for so long. Like, you're never gonna win everybody. 
Um, I think universal acclaim is 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 a mirage. Um, And I and and even scores don't bother me uh, because I feel like, listen, one man's seven is another man's ten. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I feel like honestly, as a creator who, you know, we spent a long time working on this book. And a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, you know, getting it to to, to look the way it looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, what I love, I love reactions. Um, you know, whether it's super positive or people, you know, up in arms. Uh, you know, the only reaction I I I, I don't want is apathy. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and I feel like you know we knew walking in that this this premise was going to get people talking. Um, you don't have many more sacred cows in comics than Calvin and Hobbes. It's universally beloved and, and for good reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bill Watterson has such uh, creativity and versatility, um, and he was able to do so much in uh, a, in a fairly you know, limited uh, amount of space and doing it on a day-in, day-out basis. I mean, it, that is – you talk about the marathon. You know, he's, he's the king of the marathon. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I don't think, you know, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, dumb enough to think that I'm fit to, to, to lick Bill Watterson's boots or Frank Miller's for that matter. I think both of them have forgotten how to make comics more than I'll ever know. Uh, but I think, I think, you know, the fact that we were able to put these stories together, um, and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, which is I didn't want this just to be a book about shock value. Um, although this is a subversion book and it certainly has some shocking moments Mm -hmm. it's uh ultimately there there's a redemptive arc to it this is uh, a book about scars and are we defined by them uh or can we transcend them and i think it's it's funny i think by the time we get to our third or fourth issue uh you'll start to see that redemptive arc start to happen and even though the world of Spencer and Locke might be the, the bleakest thing I've ever written. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately they might be the most hopeful characters I've ever written. Interesting. Nice. That is, that is the hell of a tease, especially coming from, uh, you know, after sort of the first issue or even the previews, like that's, uh, that definitely teases a lot more to, uh, to come down the road, which I like. For sure. For sure. I, I, you know, one of the things that made me the happiest was, uh, when Dave, Dave Dwanch, our creative director, I, I remember I, I sent him all four issues. And, you know, again, talk, you, know, you talk about creators and you talk about, you know, it's a risk to take on unknown, untested creators. And we, we signed with Action Lab around Christmas of, I guess it would be 2015. And w- he asked us what, what we think we could, we could do. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was going to be moving to Los Angeles in a few months. So I said, how about we do Halloween? of 2016, which is a longer than usual, um, a longer than usual timetable, but I wanted to fit in as much extra time as we could because, you know, Corey and I, at that point, we'd only put together six pages in a cover. Yeah. And I figured I was going to move, you know, I think Jorge had been looking for a new job at the time. So I was like, let's put it, put in some extra padding. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, 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 it was, it was a good instinct because, you know, as time was progressing, um, you know, we, we did, we need, we needed all that time. Uh, we, uh, and, and I remember Dave, you know, the only, the only editorial, um, uh, you know, stuff that he was, that he was asking, he said, so are you sure you're going to make it? You sure you're going to make that time? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I promise you, we're going to make that time. We're going to make it within like with two hours to spare, but we're going to make it. Um, 
And so I feel like we wound up turning in our third and fourth issues together uh, on the day of, of deadline. So half our series. Wow. Um, and I remember I was, I was, I was a little nervous cause I, you know, I, I'd only, you know, had limited communication with Action Lab mm-hmm. and they had seen the treatment, but I was like, you know, people change their minds. You know, are they, are they, do they have the stomach to, to go through with what we want to go through with since we've already written and drawn it and colored it and <laughs> lettered it? <laughs> um, it's probably, it's, it's probably, that is probably not something I would advise up and coming creators to do that. That, that, that was, that was, that was me being very lucky. Yeah. And uh, we turned it in on deadline, and I remember Dave texting me uh, a few weeks later, and he said, uh, I've made it to issue three, and you've already almost made me cry. Wow. And then the next day, he's like, I finished it, and you did make me cry. So, <laughs> and, and um, you know, it's funny. I, I heard Jorge talking in another podcast, actually, earlier this week, and uh, he was saying that actually that's a goal for him as well, is, I, you know, I love these these shows i'm 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 pretty sentimental uh, at, at my core mm-hmm. and uh so i i feel like if you can have these moments that really kind of put a lump in your throat you know like that's what you want with these characters you want people to invest in them and to root for them and in the case of flock uh, you know our very first page establishes why he's kind of why you know why yes he's a jerk but also like why does he you know why does he strap on a badge and gun every day yeah. and, you know, fight criminals? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jorge feels the same way. He's, 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 I, I heard him say, oh, yeah, like, I like to have these moments where, like, it'll make you tear up. Um, and anytime that he consumes any media that does make him tear up, like, he always writes it down uh, because he wants to know, you know, how did it make me do that? Yeah, deconstruct it. Uh, yeah, and I feel like... Uh, you know, it takes it takes a little while to get there for Spencer and Locke. You know, we didn't want we didn't want every issue to be like everyone like you know crying like this is us style. Yeah. Uh, but we, we certainly we certainly have our moments. Uh, I think especially towards the the, the tail end of the book, where uh, you know we didn't want people to leave without some of that emotional catharsis. And uh, I think those were some of my favorite scenes to write. That's awesome. No, and that's I I, I like that a lot because I mean the first issue I think is. It's good at establishing the tone and the characters and some of the yeah. motivations. Um, and so I think it'll probably be great payoff for people kind of reading and, and finding that emotional depth to it. Um, yeah, so that's the goal. Awesome. Well, uh, we're, we're getting close here to uh, the end of the time, so we're going to kind of segue into our, our lightning round. But before we kind of get into that, I wanted to lead it off with a question um, yeah. that uh, – so obviously, being from you know uh, comics journalism like you are, you I'm a, I'm sure are probably aware of Comics Alliance closing its doors, um, yeah. And one, which is which is a shame. Like that was a great website, but uh, one thing that I really liked is I saw their last thing that they posted was an article from all of their writers and editors, where each of them took a moment just to kind of say why they loved comics. Um, and so I, I was curious, you know, uh, just kind of wanted to present the question to you and obviously, you know, you don't have to like come up with something no, uh, no. super profound or anything, but, but why do you love comics? Uh, well, there's two reasons for it. And and the first is the art. Um, I, I think, you know, it is, I think the single most vibrant form of commercial art we have these days, um, in terms of, uh, variety and style. And I think the, the other side of that is, uh, I think comics more than any other medium, uh, they deal in metaphor. 
you know, I think you have characters, you know, like, for example, Spider-Man, great power comes with great responsibility. You have Batman, which is about taking pain and creating and, and channeling it into something more positive. And I think it's those, or Green Lantern, which is about, you know, overcoming great fear. Mm-hmm. And I think it's those kinds of, of metaphors that are really inspiring to me as a reader. And I think they can, those really bring uh, perspective and hope to uh, people who need it. And I think, I don't know, I, I think I think I came from being a newspaper reporter and now I'm working on fiction. And I think people ask, well, why did you do that? And I think you know, giving people hope. I don't think there's anything more important and necessary than that. And I think that's something that uh, comics do in such a a vital and diverse and profound way. I like it. I like it a lot. That's a a great answer. Um, Thank you. All right. Well, uh, let's let's start the lightning round. Uh, We'll go ahead and start with uh, Rachel. What you got for him? Um, I've been trying to think some good ones. What movie scared you as a child? Well, I'll I'll do you one better. And what movie scared me as an adult? And that is uh, <laughs> uh, tw- Twenty Eight Days Later. Is uh, Twenty Eight Days Later? I love that movie, and yet it has given me a lifelong phobia of uh, of uh, fast moving zombies uh, to the point where like. You you want to ask like what my big nightmare is? It's usually like being chased down by zombies that can outrace me. Um, I, I I feel like that like it is great, and yet at the same time like it's ruined me on zombies. Now I can't watch like The Walking Dead or anything like that because I I am terrified of zombies. So if you want, yeah, I mean, I, listen, I'm a wimp when it comes to horror movies. I uh, I remember I think the last one I saw in theaters was Unfriended. And um, it had, I think it had a scene where somebody like stabbed themselves in the eye with something. And all I know is I was deeply upset for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> I think I, I, I like, I think I made my girlfriend like go out and buy me a pizza afterwards. I was just like, I need to eat my feelings. I'm so upset. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I agree. The fast zombies do kind of freak me out. Yeah. yeah no, ugh. Ugh. Um, I have to eat a pizza after this. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's in your poll list right now? Oh man, um, stuff that I'm reading. Uh, let's <clears throat> uh, love Southern Bastards. That is on the top of my list. Uh, I love that book. Uh, really been digging God Country. Uh, I just picked up the first issue of Nom Wolf uh, over at C two E two. Love that book. Looks great. Um, really digging Matthew Rosenberg on Rocket Raccoon. I'm sad he's leaving that, but I'm yeah. very excited to see uh, Secret Warriors. Um, and uh, let's see, what else am I really digging? Uh, Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman on Thor. Uh, Scott Snyder's run on uh, All-Star Batman has been fantastic. Uh, I actually, um, uh, the Superman titles have been really interesting to me lately. Yeah. They, uh, you know, I, I was not expecting to like John Kent, but I think it's, you know, Superman's one of my favorite yeah. uh, DC characters coming as a Midwestern former journalist. Uh, and I feel like they've been doing some really interesting stuff over there. Um, those are the ones that I'm sure I'm, sure I'm going to remember a whole bunch later on. I really dug. <laughs> I mean, Dennis Hopeless. I know he's not doing Spider Woman or All New X Men anymore, mm-hmm. but I really was vibing on those books. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I really like kind of the heart that uh, Mark Wade is bringing to Champions. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like 
those the, the there's there's a real chemistry to those kids and uh, it kind of reminds me of his his run on uh, impulse back in the day yeah uh, and so it's that's those 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 are some particularly fun series for me nice love it uh, so I like to do so. One of the things I like to do on the show is when we, whenever we review comics, I do a, like a music pairing. So, what would be your soundtrack to Spencer and Locke? Well, you know, I I, I actually have posted a YouTube link with our entire soundtrack to oh, the hey. series. So oh, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be deeply embarrassing for a second because I can tell you the uh, the big song that I listened to while I was writing issue one. And that was uh, "Animals" by Maroon Five. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like I feel like um, Jorge and I both have our own lists, and they're they're both on YouTube actually. Cool. And uh, his is much cooler than mine. Mine is like embarrassing pop music and a little bit of hip hop. <laughs> um, but uh, no, that 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 animal song. Every time it pops up in my iPod, I'm, I'm driving into town. Uh, I'm immediately sort of drawn into this world of Spencer and Locke. Um, Love it. That's awesome. Um, Rachel, I think is next, right? Yeah. Um, if you were trapped on a desert island and could only take one comic book with you to read for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would it be? Hmm. Boy, that is tough. Because I, I, I think, I guess it would have to be. See, they don't have a they they don't have an omnibus of uh, Devin Grayson and Roger Robinson's Batman Gotham Knights. So I think I'd have to say Grant Morrison and Howard Porter's JLA. Nice. Um, I guess, it, or or I guess I could say J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. and Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, boy, um, there it is. I, I feel like yep. it is. It's a tough call between the two of them, but uh, I think those are like you know you want to look at like sort of my formative like writing DNA comic books it's it's those three for sure it's funny you just go, in in one uh, answer yeah, i'm gonna go ahead and yeah i'm gonna thank you on that one because i've been trying to convince these guys that uh straczynski's spider-man run was one of the greatest comics of all time and i'm getting a lot of, fla- I'm getting a lot <laughs> well, of flack for it listen i you know i i i, I think I've, I ha- I've had this debate with a lot of my friends as well and i think it's because they focus on the villain side of it uh mm-hmm. and for me that's not that's not what grabs me about the book it's it's about the fact that JMS he really got Peter's voice and he got yeah. that characterization, and the fact that there's that struggle. The overarching struggle of that book is not about Moreland and spider totems and all that. That's just the villain that he shoehorned into it. Mm. The, the 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 arc of that book is how Peter wins his wife back. Yep. Mm. And I think those are like the really important moments and also for me i mean uh i really like the 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 9-11 issue i know there are people who say well dr doom cried and that's out of character and that's again i i don't think that's what the book was for uh i think it was to try to bring some sense to something that was particularly senseless and anytime that i see that double page splash of peter just kind of you know he's holding his head uh as he sees the wreckage of of Mm. the towers that always sort of sends a chill down my spine, um, even to this day. Yeah. And uh, so I just I I, I love that. Um, I, I no no apologies here. You got I, I got your back. <laughs> no, it's funny. In in one answer, you managed to appeal to uh, the the deepest sensibilities of both Matt and myself. Because while he's a huge <laughs> Spider Man guy, I'm a huge uh, DC guy, and two of the runs you've mentioned today, Grant Morrison's JLA and Jeff Johns Teen Titans, are like my formative comics reading runs completely. <laughs> oh, those are great. I mean, that, that, that Titans trade where they go to the future and they see the, oh. the evil versions of themselves. Yes. Oh no, that's, that's, uh, 
that's that's I love that arc. It's 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 such a good run, and I think for me that's what kind of also clicked uh, for me with Jeff Johns sort of being one yep. of my favorite DC writers. You should really check out his uh, his JSA run. Um, he did an excellent single issue uh, featuring Damage, uh, Liberty Bell, and oh, yeah. Our Man, and uh, that I would I would uh, it, it, that might be my favorite single issue of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. You know, the metaphor is just because something's broken doesn't mean you have to throw it away, yes. and that's why Liberty Bell has a crack in her logo. Yes, uh, uh, that gets me like choked up every time. I. Yeah, I like anything that Je- almost anything that Jeff Johns has done at, at DC has just like really spoken to me. And that that exact arc that you're talking about, like bringing out those deep fears of 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 Tim and Connor and Cassie, especially like you know, and then like the the struggle that Bart was having with back. Anyway, I could go on forever. That's such a good yeah, such a good story. <laughs> <laughs> such a good series. <laughs> um, uh, if you so, we'll we'll do one more round between the three of us, and then uh, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll finally let go of you, but. Uh, Oh no no no! I'm I'm having a blast. You keep me as long as you want. <laughs> awesome. Uh, who is your favorite villain of all time? Um, we like really trapping people Mag- into definitive answers on Magneto. This <laughs> Magneto. Magneto. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's definitely Magneto. Um, I think I think uh, you know, he, he's he's my favorite. I mean, I think look, I'm 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 Jewish, and so I feel like his 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 story as a Holocaust survivor, like I, I think it, it it certainly resonates with me. And I, you know, he's, he's one of those heroes, he's, he's one of those characters who's, he's, he's the hero of his own story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's not to say that there aren't characters who can't just be pure villains. I mean, you see Heath Ledger's Joker, for example, which is a great example of a character who is just a villain. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, there's, I like that sort of, uh, damaged anti-hero thing going on with Magneto. And I feel like it gives a lot of room uh, for for different storytelling choices, and also just the, the the way that his his powers work, you're able to to exercise them in very very unique and interesting ways. Um, so he's definitely my favorite. Although I am starting to really warm up to Lex Luthor. Um, I uh, once I started seeing him as less of like a Donald Trump figure mm-hmm. um, and more as like uh, evil Steve Jobs. Mm. I uh, things started to kind of click a little bit more for me. And I think it's just cause like I, I, I've been thinking a lot about, about Superman and, 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 you know, he's definitely like a bucket list character for me to write. And if I ever got the chance to tackle him, I would definitely see Lex as, you know, he's the kind of guy who would say, well, don't we believe in due process? Why would we want an alien, you know, violating our, our civil liberties by using his superheroing and x-ray vision? And yeah. suddenly, like Metropolis is like building like noise baffling devices and like painting everything in lead. Clark's like, <laughs> like I just want to be able to save somebody from jumping out of a building. And you're like making you're making my hometown very difficult to live in right now, Lex. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm warming up on him too. Okay. Uh, let's see uh, who Rachel is. I guess next. it's I guess it's I guess it's my turn. But I already oh, feel uh, I I I feel that, uh, vindicated for the the JMS Spider Man thing. So. I'm just gonna no, I'm just kidding. Uh, You're like I don't have that. I got nothing else. He's cool. No, uh, so uh, 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 Calvin and Hobbes. What's your uh, of all the Calvin and Hobbes stuff? What are the ones that stick with you the most? Like what you know, I don't know, strips or individual panels or like characters. You know, whatever it is. Mm, well, boy, I feel like if there's anything that really stands out to me. I mean, the 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 the, the iconography that sticks out the most to me. Uh, you'll see in issue three. Um, that's our Spaceman Spiff issue. Nice. And 
uh, you'll have to see. I can't, I can't show it to you because I'm on a podcast. But <laughs> if you look up, uh, if you look up Mon House's uh, variant cover for issue three, that's uh, that's probably one of my favorite covers for my favorite issue of the run. Mm. And I think, I think for me, Spaceman and all of Calvin's kind of more vivid uh, hallucinations, mm-hmm. they stood out to me in part because like Bill Watterson was able to really flex his artistic muscle. He was able to show that like, it's not just breaking down into the more simplified, you know, comic strip cartoon characters, which you have to simplify in order to do them day in and day out. But like that he's able to do these like amazing sweeping vistas and like these crazy looking aliens, these awesome looking crash sequences. Like he reminded you, no, like I'm not just a cartoonist. Like I'm a honest to goodness, like illustrator artist. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that, I think, I think that was my favorite. And I think that's part of what drew me to this series is the fact that, we can take this book places that ordinary noir can't go. Okay. And it's because it's a book about uh, perception and imagination. Yeah. Interesting. Love it. Is it, let's see, Rachel, oh, right? I'm up. Right. Uh, what's your, what's your favorite comic book adaptation? Hmm. Boy, that is tough because you know what? That first Spider-Man movie, I think I saw that the way that like Mark Wade saw the first Superman movie, you know, like that, made me feel like oh i really want to work in entertainment like that sounds like that it just blew me away but i think boy i feel like see i feel like i'd be betraying myself if i didn't say spider-man but the first avengers movie Mm. um i probably saw that in theaters like six times i i uh you know i i remember my buddy george marston from newsarama he came up to new york uh and this is when uh, pierce lydon and i were just like becoming friends and I think we all saw that movie together at least three times. And so I have such great memories associated with that movie. Uh, and it's also just like a good, well-balanced, well-paced movie. And yeah, there's like some, there's some stuff you can nitpick about it, but like the, the pros so far outweigh the cons to me. So I think either Spider-Man or Avengers and then uh, The Dark Knight is a, is, is a, is a, a beloved but distant third place. Mm. Awesome. Love it. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're uh, we're getting close here on time now. So thank you so like you've been super generous uh, with your time today, oh. David, and you've been awesome with answering all of our questions. And so uh, thank you so much oh, for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No, thank yeah, you for thank having you. me. These have been great questions have been uh, now. I feel like I I got to go watch uh, Avengers and crack open Infinity War number two. So <laughs> thank you guys for. for uh, no, uh, no, bringing me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and and you're you're totally welcome to to come back anytime to talk geek or whatever. Um, but uh, let the listeners know where they can find you and Spencer and Locke and uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, you can follow Spencer and Locke. That's just one word. The and is spelled out. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm. Uh, you can follow me, uh, Pepos D. It's just my last name, first initial. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I don't check my Instagram very often. And listen, the other thing I, I've been telling everybody is, uh, you know, if you like our first issue, tell your store to pre-order the rest of it or just, you know, yes. add it to your poll list. Yep. Uh, because books like ours, we live and die based on these pre-orders. And listen, my my goal for this is I think there's a much wider world for Spencer and Locke to explore. And I would like to be able to sh- show Action Lab that, hey, we've got the sales. Uh, let's do a sequel. I think... I've got at least another two, maybe three arcs in me for this for this book. 
And uh, I feel like, uh, you know, having people pre-order is super important. You know, I, yes. I, you know, we're not the biggest publisher in the world, but I think the fact that we've gotten, you know, the, the fact that retailers have really, really in the press have really rallied around us so far, I feel like we're the little indie book that could. Yeah. And, uh, you know, having fans tell their stores that they want to read the whole thing, all four issues, it's literally the price of a movie ticket and a cup of Coke. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that's 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 what's going to carry us through to the end so and we appreciate all our readers and all our fans um you know somebody wrote a a rap song about our first issue which uh, <laughs> just kind of blew me away is uh that's the coolest thing listen if anybody has like if anybody wants to create based on our stuff we'll blast it wide uh we 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 love our readers and we uh, we greatly appreciate everything they've done for us so far Awesome. Hey, for whatever for whatever it's worth, I went to three comic stores here in Salt Lake City, and all were sold out, and all of them had them in the <laughs> staff picks section. So, doing something right there. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, that's fantastic. That's what we love to hear. I mean, it's a it's a surreal experience to have your name on a book. It is the fact that people want to read it at all. I kind of feel like I'm in the Matrix right now, and uh, <laughs> I'm. If, if if that's the case, don't wake me up. Okay, I'm happy right where I am. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, hey, th- thanks again, David. And and again, anytime really you feel, yeah, no problem at all. Any anytime you want to come back on and and talk geek or whatever, or you know, next project that you have, feel free to to reach out. We'd love to have you back on again. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah no, thank you. No yes. Thanks. And that was David Peppos. Uh, great fun interview he's uh so he's a real like uh, that's what i've loved about the creators we've gotten on so far they've all been very just talkative and willing to just like go down whatever whatever avenue we take them down that's true yeah it's really great but yeah that was a fun interview so make sure uh make sure you like you said go if you if you want to read spencer and Locke, if you're enjoying it make sure that you tell your retailers uh to pre-order it uh that is he's not kidding when he says like that is what independent books live and die on they need those pre-orders to keep going uh and even the big two books i mean you saw recently even a guy like chip zadarsky couldn't keep a, a book like star lord running past six issues like i don't it's yeah. the pre-orders really matter um and so make sure you tell your retailer make sure you uh you support a book if you like it um but yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun and definitely a, a really really interesting concept for a book, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but uh, yeah, we we've got uh, some fun stuff coming up this week, guys. Um, sure do. I don't remember what it is, but it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be oh. up in Utah, and then we're gonna see Guardians of the Galaxy, and and we're gonna finish the Living yeah. Dead minute and never talk about it again. Never yep. never talk about it again. <laughs> um yeah no it's uh yeah it's it's gonna be a fun week i like i don't know about you guys and and like it probably makes i don't know it might not make any difference to the listeners but i i love it when like i'm able to go up there and and do an episode in person with you guys it's it's a much different feeling than staring at my wall uh yeah 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 it helps when everybody's in the same room yeah, yeah definitely um and so yeah i guess the the next episode they hear after this will be will be us uh we'll probably be talking about guardians of the galaxy um, I think we'll be talking about Guardians, and there's I think there's some other stuff we can kind of like drop in our wheelhouse. Like uh, we can watch American Gods finally. Yes. Oh, that's... I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet either. But I, that's on my that's on my to do. Yeah. No, it's a it's an exciting week, and I guess well, I guess to the listeners, we won't even be wrapped up with uh, uh, the Living Dead minute yet. There'll still be like two two three more weeks. Um, 
But this week, I guess as they're hearing this, this is the week that we had Sean and Brighton uh, from World Champion Podcast on our uh, on our Living Dead Minute. That was fun yep. times. It's good times. Yeah, we should get those guys on uh, Savage Land, and then they can swear more. Yeah, they yeah. Can swear more. Yeah. Everybody loves those sweet, <laughs> sweet swears. That's right. Uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll pull them on for, for Guardians or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we could figure something out soon. Um but yeah, it's uh it's a good uh good time. Any anything you guys wanna wanna talk about before we uh send this guy off into the night? Um no. Yeah, no, I Dope. think I'm good. No nope. good. Well I think uh just you can, you know, same as always, find us on uh Facebook and Instagram at Savage Land Podcast and at Twitter, Savage Land Pod. You can call our phone number, which is four one three Savage Four. We still don't have a voicemail, but I mean we're 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 hoping that <laughs> at some point soon uh we'll we'll get one so if if you want to leave us a message if you want us to play your message on the air you can call 413 savage 4 i don't think we've even brought that up in like weeks it's been a little while uh but that's back up i mean we got a lot of we got a we got we seem to have a new influx of listeners so thanks guys for listening that's uh that's pretty exciting it's been like and this will all just I'll, I'll peel back the curtain just a little bit uh don't peel back any curtains jason there's magic behind those curtains (laughs) the for the last uh five weeks i think every single uh week we've increased in listeners by a significant portion um at least from what you know from what our our reporting tells us uh so that's pretty awesome so any any listeners who are listening for the first time uh we posted a zero episode originally it was supposed to appear before episode one but itunes started making our oldest episodes disappear uh so you can find that zero episode right in front of episode 100. So just listen to that as kind of your guide if you haven't listened to us before because uh, we would hate for you to have to go and, and try and listen to all of our old episodes. That's just not that's not fun. Yeah, cruel don't do it. Punishment. <laughs> don't do it. Save yourself. Uh, yeah, listen, listen to that episode zero if you're just starting and trying to orient yourself in this crazy, crazy world. Um, but yeah, join us. Uh, join us next week. We'll most likely be talking Guardians of the Galaxy and American Gods, and maybe maybe we'll have some uh, maybe we'll have some some guests. Who knows what we'll have? We never know. So I, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we don't make a plan. We have twelve percent nope. of a plan. Get it? Guardians. Uh, got, Guardians it. Got, yes. it. got it. Got yep. it. <laughs> Figured it out. All right, follow us on Twitter, leave the reviews and the ratings and all that stuff. Be nice and enjoy your life, pre-order your comics, love your retailers. Eat some cake. have their cake after they eat it Mm-mm. nope shit no just eat it just it's a, eat it it's a raw deal yeah well you know you it's up. better than getting beheaded <laughs> <laughs> well that escalated quickly <laughs> jesus <laughs> wow Antoinette, she got beheaded oh yeah she did <laughs> she got the guillotine